Thank you for joining us on the Just For Show Show, a podcast where we share our common love of theater and performance with fellow artists. I'm Galen Malik. I'm Heidi Swarthout. And I'm Ben. In this episode, we share more tales of onstage mishaps sent in by listeners, and we talk with Alyssa Wolf about her extraordinary pursuit of knowledge. Now, on with the show. Sunday, November 6th. My dearest one, though the sun is shining brightly, it is with a dark and heavy heart that I write you this letter. For I know that when you read these words, it means our time together is no more. I deeply regret that I must leave you, my love, but every man has his time, and my time is now. Please know that my departure has nothing to do with you, or the way I feel about you. My heart will always be yours. And my my greatest wish is that you live your life after I'm gone. Promise me, my dear, that you will live your life. Knowing this fateful day was imminent, I took the liberty of getting my affairs in order in the hopes that it would make your life easier after I'm gone. I paid this month's bills in full, stocked the refrigerator with food, picked up the dry cleaning, and even patched the roof on Sparky's doghouse. Oh, precious Sparky, how I will miss his big brown eyes, wagging tail greeting me every day. But it's you and the children I will miss the most. Please, tell darling Pamela that she must continue her piano lessons, even on difficult days, and that Daddy believes in her. And be sure to tuck little Tommy in for me every night and read him the choo-choo train story he loves so well. I know he's too young to understand this now, but Hopefully one day, he will forgive me for not being here. One fine day, I hope you can all understand why this sacrifice was necessary and find peace in your hearts. I love you. Always. Yours. Hey, babe. Did you pick up the dry cleaning? Uh, yep, and dinner's in the oven. Uh, the timer has about ten minutes left, but the recipe says it's not done until it's brown and bubbling. <laughs> awesome, thanks. <laughs> Hopefully Pammy will eat it. You know how she is about brown food these days. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's a salad in the fridge, too. <laughs> oh, it's 6.30. Time for you to go, right? Oh, uh, oh wow. <laughs> Time got away from me. <laughs> Don't want to be late. Hey, have a great tech week, okay? Thanks, hon. See you later. Our listeners have some of the best stories. Here to share a couple of them with you is our own Ben Slavik. Take it away, Ben. Our first story comes from wonderful, wonderful Jeff Mayer. Uh, He says, I have a theater story about a missing prop. I was playing Sergeant Trotter in a production of Agatha Christie's The Mousetrap. That's a fun one. During a particularly intense interrogation scene with one of the suspects, my character was to go into the closet, which was on stage, and retrieve the suspect's raincoat. 
bring it back to the center, and pull a newspaper from the pocket. Uh-huh. Ha-ha. Simple enough. This newspaper was crucial because the date on the paper would prove the suspect's alibi did not hold up. Mm. Except, during one performance, I reached into the pocket of the raincoat, and there was no newspaper there. Whoa. Okay, I am really interested to hear how this goes, because I am putting myself in that position and how I, I would cover I'm that. I am sweating. I am I'm sweating just hearing about it. It's oh, making me nervous. Jesus. Uh, oh, oh dear Jeff <laughs> I reached into what the <laughs> I reached into the pocket of the raincoat and there was no newspaper there there was nowhere to go after that the rest of the <sighs> scene <laughs> oh jeez I think this might be one of the hardest stories we've ever had to get through I know cringe there was nowhere to go after that the rest of the scene depended on that particular <laughs> reveal so the two of us as both of us have realized what missing that newspaper meant, vamped for what seemed like an eternity. Is this your raincoat? I think it is. Are are you sure this is your raincoat? Well, I keep a spare in the back bedroom. Oh, Lord. Brilliant. Okay. Nice. Which one were you wearing yesterday? <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's the one in the bedroom. Yes. Holy cow. That, there it is. That gave me an out to exit to backstage where our prop mistress was sheepishly holding the newspaper out to me. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I don't think I could have pulled that off, man. Oh, Seriously. I mean, what do you do? I'm having a premonition. It's about a newspaper <laughs> this and is- a date. <laughs> oh, you know what? That's that's not my raincoat. Um, my oh. rain my, my raincoat is in the bedroom, your, your, your officer. Um, wow! Oh, so smart. He goes to say, "I took uh, I took it, the newspaper, from her, went back on stage, and said, Aha! There.' Was- <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Aha! There was a raincoat in your bedroom, and look what I found in the pocket." <laughs> Oh my god. I'm crying. <laughs> Good enough. That'll do. Keep it going. This so don't look back, man. <gasps> the scene resumed just slightly less impactful than it could have been. Oh. oh. <laughs> wow. Woo. That was like a white knuckle story. And then what a great what a great ending. Aha. Aha. I I live for I I oh. I hate in TV shows and movies when when actors screw up, but I always secretly hope and live for the moments when people are like, aha, there was a raincoat in the bedroom. Oh, thank, thank goodness that play is, you know, this classic mystery with these uh, tropes and these characters where an inspector might, you know, there might be a twist or turn. Now that one... Is fairly well known, so depending on if people knew the show, if they knew that something was up, but otherwise, it's like perfectly believable that the inspector would say, "Aha! It uh-huh. wasn't that code. It was this one." It's really that's brilliant. why he's an inspector. He's so intelligent. He's, yes. He knows they're lying. And the scene partner, they had a good thing going on. I'm impressed. Uh, <laughs> thank you, Jeff. <laughs> thank you, Jeff. Great story. 
Uh, our second story of the evening comes from uh, a listener named Dan Muir. Um, uh, I read this one ahead a little bit, and I have a special connection with this story already, so I'm excited. Um, he says, I was playing the title character in The Nerd at Summer Place in 1994. Uh, the, nerd? the Nerd? Isn't that what your favorite show, that's, Ben? It's one of my favorite shows I've ever been in, and it's hey. got a lot of food props and uh, director potential directors. If you're out there, I eat as much food as you will let me on stage. <laughs> <laughs> He's an actor who loves to eat on stage, which is... I love it. Pretty rare. Let, let it be I'll known. Eat anything. Uh, uh, he says. Uh, he goes on to say, the scene comes up where we are supposed to put sand in our tea. The prop people um, had been using and used brown sugar for every performance, mm-hmm. but right. on closing night, they put real sand in the sugar bowl. What? Not cool. <laughs> Some people just want to watch the world burn, I suppose. Oh my gosh. Oh, Dan. Okay. Ugh. What did you do? What happened? Dan goes on to say, I watched in horror as I spooned the sand into my tea and proceeded to drink. Gross. Where- oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Where did the sand come from? Did a dog or cat do their duty in a sandbox? (laughs) (laughs) Director Craig Gustafson said he could tell the difference from his seat in the back row. And he gave holy hell to the property people after the show. Oh, I hope so. That's rough. Yeah. You know, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Dan. And it is a bummer when um, people get in their heads that, oh, it's the last show. Let's play a prank or let's change something or do something crazy. Because not everybody's into that. Mm-hmm. And, it, it, you know, you want to make somebody sick or throw somebody off. I'm sure that yeah. it wasn't, I'm sure they weren't out, you know, to get him or anything. But it was just a bad judgment. And then, you know. Their bad yeah. judgment leads to him having sand in his mouth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Boom. no, I, I, I get the, I get the temptation to do something a little goofy, but yeah, yeah, I, mm-hmm. yeah, I would have been with Craig on this one. I would have ripped them a new one. Yeah, that's not cool. I'm trying to, I'm oh. trying to think back if, if Dan, I didn't see the production, Dan, but if he played the main character, the main character when he puts it into his drink, every so one person just takes sugar, one person just like. Uh, I can't, can't even begin to think of putting sand in their tea, even as a joke. Uh, and then another character puts both. And then one character just puts sand. And if he was the main character, that means he literally had... And any amount of sand would be bad. But that just oh, means yeah. that his was just, like, liquid and sand. Which oh, like the, the sand to tea ratio was pretty exactly right. Gnarly. One person's like, Oh, I got yeah. sugar. One person's like, Well, I got sugar, but I also got sand. And then one person's like, I have Blah. literally just <laughs> sand in a cup. <sighs> well, kudos for Dan for being able to keep things rolling, yeah. but yeah, should never, yeah. <laughs> never put them in that place. Yeah, thank you for thank sharing. You. Yeah, thank story, you, thank Dan. you for your tale of misery and woe, Dan. <laughs> hey, misery loves company, and we've. <laughs> 
<laughs> we've all been I, in weird places in a show before so thanks for sharing it's a caution cautionary tale for all of us on closing night double check everything don't eat sand <laughs> Thanks again, Dan. Well, she has traveled the world learning and sharing the words of Shakespeare. Here to talk to us about that journey is the one and only Elissa Wolf. Welcome, Elissa Wolf. I'm so glad you could join us on the Just for Show show. I'm excited to be here. Thanks. Now, we're going to just like rake you over the coals and uh, make you really uncomfortable and uh, do our best to make you regret ever agreeing to do this. (laughs) <laughs> okay. Uh, reoccurring nightmares. Check. Oh, I'm ready. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. If we don't traumatize you, then we haven't done our job. Uh, uh, poll, poll to everyone out there listening. Um, please send us in messages about how often Galen is in your reoccurring nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> so actually, um, Elissa, what we usually do is start off by like probing people about their origin story and how they got started. But I'm not going to do that because I want to know something. Now, some of us are content to like learn about Shakespeare by watching YouTube videos or reading books, and others might like take some classes at a community college. You chose to get a master's from <laughs> Shakespeare Institute at Stratford upon Avon. Tell yes. us about that. Yeah, cool. Well, you know what? The origin story um, actually kind of goes hand in hand with that. So you'll get a little bit of both. Um, Because my love of Shakespeare was actually inspired by um, my uncle who gave me my first uh, children's version of the first folio when I was 10. It was a Christmas present. Mm -hmm. I still have it. And the first play I ever read was The Merchant of Venice um, on the bus to and from school at like 10 years old Ooh. um yeah so they have a version that was like for for your little mind at that point yeah it's real condensed um and i'm not gonna lie i definitely the casket scene where they're like looking at all the different boxes is still like ingrained in my brain i can still see the like sketched image that's in the book wow. um but i definitely did not understand what was going on um So when I came back to it years later, I was like, oh, this makes so much more sense now. Um, But (laughs) yeah, that that book inspired my love of Shakespeare. And so um, I don't know. I'd always loved it. And um, I don't know. There's kind of this joke. I joke with my mom a lot that I do some things out of spite. I don't know if that's a great motivator, but to be honest, I do a lot of things out of spite. So I just remember. Yeah, I, (laughs) Yeah. I, I, I love spite. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Whew. Among friends here. And I had kind of really loved Shakespeare, but then I remember doing a monologue in college and I had done Richard III because like, why was I not going to do the opening monologue from Richard III? Um, and I just remember doing the monologue and everything finishing and my professor looking at me and be like, did you master Shakespeare? No. Did you give it the old college try? Yes. Hmm. And I was just like... <laughs> okay, I'm going to get really good at this. I'm going to get really good at Shakespeare. And I'm going to like use this to inspire me to like go on and make these choices. And so, yeah. That's... I could see that. I could see that as a motivator. <laughs> like you army like, little. <laughs> yeah. I just really loved Shakespeare at the time. And it was a huge passion. And I just, yeah. I wanted to learn more. And then. A few, and that was, I don't remember what year that was in college, but then a few years later, 
I took a Shakespeare English class uh, with Dr. Fowler um, and I loved it. She was great. Um, she actually wrote my um, one of my letters of recommendation to get into the Institute. Then, wow, you must have um, made an impression with her. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so then that made me just um, look at the Institute's program. I'd heard about it from my brother who was um, studying at the University of Manchester over there. Mm -hmm. um, and wow. he was like, hey, I found out about this program. I think you'd really like it. And so I did all that Googling and all that research. And they had two programs I was interested in. There was a Shakespeare studies program and then the creativity program, which is partnered with the Royal Shakespeare Company. And I applied for both because I was like, what if I don't get in to like the Royal Shakespeare Company one? I still want to go. I still want to learn a lot of things. And so I got accepted in the studies program first. And I was like, oh my gosh, okay. Like I get to go to England great. This will be my second time there. I'm so excited. I have some friends there. Like, this is going to be like awesome. And then like, I just had to wait and wait and wait. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to get into this other program. Like I'm freaking out. And then I just remember my mom and I were moving at the time and we were like repainting my bedroom or something. I don't remember. Hmm. And I like look at my phone and it says like Shakespeare Institute, like of the heading. And I was like, oh my God, this is like my rejection email. They're going to tell me that they don't want me in this program. And I like opened it and they were like, we'd like to let you know that you've made this program. And I just like started crying. And my mom was like, what is happening? And I was like, I got into this program. Wow. Um, and then all the fun visa stuff started. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. And holy crap, I have to move to another country and I have to find a house and all that fun stuff. But it ended up working out. And the Shakespeare Institute, even though like I didn't get to be there as long as I wanted to because of COVID, um, is still one of the best experiences of my life. And like, if anybody is ever interested in the program, I will talk your ear off about it. I will recommend it forever. I really enjoyed my time there. I was in a small cohort of 10 people mm -hmm. um, and we just like, we clicked pretty well. Uh, you're always going to have drama, but <laughs> you know, we're actors. I think that's pretty common. Um, but yeah, I like, I loved the group of people that I was with and it was one of the best experiences. Um, yeah. So that's how that happened. Wow. So it was, <laughs> it was a, a small group of people that you were yeah. working with almost all the time. All the time. Mm. I, um, the way that the classes worked is we had, uh, the core classes that we had to take for our masters. And then we also had, um, a few classes that we could pick. I loved the classes that I picked. I took a Shakespeare and anatomy class that was, ended up being one of my favorite classes that I took. Wait a minute, what? Um, Shakespeare yes. and anatomy? Yes. What is that um, about? So it, it looks at all the different like parts of Shakespeare that talk about the anatomy or the body. And it looks at it through that time lens of like, this is what they believed was going on. Um, okay. It was a really cool class. Um, yeah, there was, we did a really great section on Macbeth and um, that the unsex me monologue and how she's talking about like trying to like harden who she is and she's trying to become unfeminine. And so it's sometimes people are like, Oh, she's becoming a witch. Like, there's some mm. cool stuff with that. Um, but yeah, did, no, that was one of my favorite classes. Did you tie it back to Merchant of Venice and they explained like why a pound of flesh was so interesting? We did talk about Merchant of Venice as well. Um, we, now this is forever ago, so don't ask me what we actually talked about. But um, I just remember um, also dissecting biscuits at one point because Chris, our lecturer, would always bring in cookies for us to eat, biscuits um, for us to have because he's just a really nice guy. And he was like, today we're going to dissect a body. And then he just like 
was like, here's some biscuits that we're going to cut open and <laughs> do things. And I was like, cool, give me that jammy dodger. Let's go. Um, <laughs> so it was just fun. And it was great because those are the classes where we would get to meet um, students from the other um, master's programs. And so you just get a lot of different ideas and people sharing their thoughts and opinions. Um, so it wasn't with my performance group all the time, but we were together most of the time, especially with our acting courses. We were there from like 10 in the morning to like usually six o'clock at night sometimes. So it's just with each other all the time, working on shows and memorizing stuff. <laughs> right. Right. So uh- other than, you know, a healthy dose of spite, uh, what sort of things does, <laughs> does a, a, a burgeoning uh, student of Shakespeare need in order to thrive um, and survive in that environment? Oh, that's such a good question. And I, I mean, I do, it does really come down to like, obviously enjoying what, as much as spite is great. Um, also really loving what you are interested in pursuing. Um, and I've always just really loved Shakespeare's language. Um, it's, I think there was a quote somewhere that said it was like, Shakespeare says everything we wish we could say. Um, mm. And I think that's really true because I don't know how many times like I've read that and been like, that is, if I was in this situation, I wish I had had those words mm. to say what is, what is going through my brain. I think he's really good at just capturing emotions in his language and just painting a very vivid picture, which I think, we also have to remember that at the time there wasn't as much set pieces going on. So like you're Mm. really relying on those words to paint that picture and give you that scenery. And so um, I think it's just his vivid language was also always something that I really, really loved. Um, And those stories. Um, Cause yeah, I mean, I think everyone is Midsummer like still like the one that everybody sees at some point when they're a kid. Like everybody sees yes. a Midsummer Night's Dream because fairies yeah. are friendly. And yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I remember seeing that at Burlington Central High School where I went to high school when my brother was a freshman, I think. And I just remember being like, this is pretty cool. <laughs> and then a few years later, I directed Twelfth Night at Burlington Central. And that was a cool full circle moment too, because I love working with high schoolers with Shakespeare as well, just because once they get it, like there's this light bulb that goes off and they're like, oh, this makes sense. And oh, I feel those things too. <laughs> it's not <laughs> like I can understand Shakespeare and what they're feeling. It's not some foreign language. And then like also like, I just hate this idea that it's so highbrow. I think, and that's maybe one of my favorite things about the Institute is we're just so honest about and kind of laugh about people think this is so highbrow and so cultured and like, it's just Shakespeare who wrote a bunch of dick jokes and was writing stuff for the groundlings. It's for every, it's, it's for everyone. And I think everybody can find a way to find Shakespeare that relates to them. There's so many different ways that people are creating for different people. And so I think, it actually has become a very accessible tool um, for very, very different groups of people. So would you say that for you personally, you view the works of Shakespeare more as like a window to the past or do you try to f- apply it to like present day or, or are you kind of in the middle, right? You're like, cause you probably got the, le- the book learning and everything like how yeah. it was both, but yeah, give us, give us your take on that. 
Oh my gosh, that's such a fun question. Um, <laughs> I definitely think I'm both because, so I don't know if you guys have done research on Ben and David Crystal, but they're a father-son duo that look at the original pronunciation of Shakespeare's language. Um, mm-hmm. I own their dictionary. It's very fun. Um, cool. <laughs> and so it it converts everything into how it was supposed to be said in the original Shakespearean quotes here, accent. Um, And so the Globe occasionally would do what they call original productions. And so they would try and do like authentic, as authentic as we can be, because we don't, honestly, when you go to the Institute, you find out we don't really know that much at all. Um, (laughs) So that's fun. (laughs) Everything's a really great guessing game. Um, But yeah, so I'm always, I'm intrigued with the idea of doing it the way that it was done, because I think it opens up a more grounded understanding of the language and how it was written. But then that being said, I think you can take those tools for like, oh, how characters relate or like how they would stand because of how they were dressed or how they interact with the audience because of the theater that they were in. I think you can take that and very much apply it to modern approaches Um, and I mean, if we've learned anything as we've gone through history, there are so many things that are still so relevant. And so I do love it when people put in a modern approach on plays that we see all the time. Um, again, especially for younger audiences who think this is old and stuffy and there's nothing in it that's ever going to relate to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a sucker for like putting any Shakespeare show in the 1920s or the or the 60s. I don't know why. I just like those time periods. So it's fun. <laughs> Have you gotten a chance to do that before? Um, I Well, when I did Twelfth Night at Burlington Central, um, I did put it in the 1920s because I thought there were some really great parallels between, um, you know, uh, Prohibition and the modern woman um, versus like Viola and Olivia and Sir Toby. And there's some fun parallels with that. Oh, and then um, the abstinent group of not drinking with um, the Puritans of Malvolio. So like there's some fun parallels there that I got to explore with the kids. And I think they made, I think they thought that was a lot more fun. So, (laughs) yeah. Nice. About different approaches to Shakespeare. So we had the pleasure of working with you, alongside you, uh, with Janice Theater's uh, Elgin Shakespeare Project. Yes. Which delved into the unrehearsed method of Shakespeare. What are your, what are your thoughts? What's your take on the unrehearsed method of Shakespeare? So that's so fun because I felt so cool going to the Institute having because I did that show right before I left um, for grad school. And I was like, whoo, I know all this stuff now. Like, this is so cool. I'm going to go in with all this knowledge. Um, And I really like that approach. And um, one of my professors, Tiffany Stern, she actually has a book um, called Shakespeare in Parts, and it touches a little bit on the Q script technique. Um, And so it I think it's very fascinating because I think it opens up um, a lot of like those language clues of like charting out your journey as a character. Mm-hmm. And then um, one of the things that we did when we worked on that play is we talked about the you and thou and how you mm-hmm. equates to distance and thou relates to being closer. And one of my favorite books, um, her name is Penelope Friedman. She has she just she has two books now, and she focuses specifically on the relationship between you and thou, and what it means for character relationships, and what it means when you shift from you to thou, or vice versa. What it means for status, what it means for your character, um, and it's my favorite thing to do when I'm approaching or looking at a monologue. I chart out all the you and thou. How are, how am I talking to this person? Am I close? Mm-hmm. Am I far? Um, because and I think so, for, for people who aren't familiar with it, I think that the idea is that 
it's not happenstance that the word you gets used as opposed to thou and that there's Mm -hmm. intent behind that. And so as an actor, when you see you, it should signal something to you. And if you see thou, it should signal something different as far as I think what you were just mentioning, like distance and that sort of thing and all, all sorts of other things. So, um, yeah. And I think there were some other things again, for folks who aren't familiar with unrehearsed Shakespeare in general, um, it, it's the concept that, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's in Shakespeare's day, there was such a, a uh, there were so many plays being put on in such a short amount of time that, that the long rehearsal process that we might be used to as community theater actors likely didn't occur at all. And so yeah. the, the, the actors had to work things out on their feet and had to look at the text to indicate a lot of what they would get during the rehearsal mm-hmm. process. Is that right? Yeah. And so, and there's another layer with the cue scripts um, and copyright because scripts were getting stolen and rewritten all the time. So the cue scripts was a way for if some actor left their script unattended, only part of the story was there. And so it couldn't be completely copied. Oh, um, oh okay. Yeah. yeah. I never so realized some... that. Cause I knew that we had, when we did the Shakespeare unrehearsed, we, we had, our own individual scripts Mm -hmm. that were just our lines and maybe a cue line of somebody ahead. And I thought it was, you know, primarily just for efficiency, but, um, yeah, I thought Shakespeare was a cheapskate. I hadn't thought of it. (laughs) (laughs) It's because of crappy copywriting too. (laughs) There's multiple layers. I think that was one of my favorite things to find out. I was like, Oh yeah, you're worrying about that. Um, but I mean, yeah, that's how some of the quartos came about is they, um, and there's mixed theories, again, mixed theories on that is that um, some of the quartos we have are, are, somebody went to the play and was like, oh yeah, I saw Hamlet. Let me tell you what exactly happened at Hamlet. And so like, that's why it's not exactly right. Um, Hamlet okay. is a bad example. I don't know if that's true for that bad quarto, but in bad quartos in general, sometimes it that's, was, how, that's how you get the Lion King. Someone's yeah. Like, I, I saw Hamlet one time. <laughs> I think I yeah. can tell you what happens. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yes, um, yeah, the blocking and language for how you, you would you would move um, because they didn't have those long rehearsal processes. There's a company again going back to the crystals. Ben Crystal, the son, he has a company that will do like Shakespeare in 24 hours, and they use a similar method to, I believe, the unrehearsed method. So well, yeah. <laughs> cool. Uh, Galen touched on an interesting thing that I wanted to ask before we move too far away from it. When you were at the Institute, mm-hmm. um, did you, I'm assuming you put on performances of these shows or, or scenes and such. Um, what was your rehearsal period like? So I didn't, I was in our show and then COVID happened and we didn't get it before tech week. Uh, and nah. I didn't get to do it. Um, (laughs) um, and that, that process was quite short and it was actually for a Ben Johnson, I believe it was Ben Johnson. And uh, that was, it was a short process for a show that's quite long, but it was very, very fun. And I loved the group that I was working with. And it was a nice actual break from Shakespeare (laughs) because we were around it all the time. So we're like, (laughs) let's just do Ben Johnson. Um, but then, what we did get to do for my first semester was really fun is we pretty much the Abigail, who was my professor, um, she 
gave us physical and linguistic and language exercises that we would focus on or like theories and different methodologies that we would focus on like each class time. And it was pretty much a way for you to build your own method to approaching the text. And so we would layer it on top of um, what we were doing. And so like the second week of school, we had to pick a monologue that we were going to do for our final. So it was like you had to pick that monologue, um, two contrasting monologues. And you had to, so I did a, I did Barone's monologue from Love's Labor's Lost. And then I did Joan's monologue, um, uh, from one of the Henry's, whichever one, part one. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, it it was just a way for us to look at the physicality and like, be like, okay, how are we going to work with this text? How's it going to approach this text? And we learned like a bunch of different ways to do it. And so now it's really nice because like I have a typed out methodology of like how I approach the text and like where I start with it. Um, and it's, it's really great because now I'm not as scared when I just get a Shakespeare monologue because I'm like, no, I have a plan. I will go to the first folio. I'll look at the punctuation. I'll chart out what's capitalized. Then I'll go to the you and thou. Then I'll use this exercise where you take a breath after every single line because this one guy was like no you take a pause after every line you do it and then somebody else was like no you rush it every single time and i'll do both and i'll see which one i like and then i just pick which one i feel like works the best and (laughs) then i'll just keep going and and you learn that everybody every book we read was like everybody had like a definitive like this is what you do and then the next person was like this is what you do and you're like so really this is what you think we should do and I'll just figure out what works best yeah. for me. This is right. what you <laughs> should <Yeah>. do. <laughs> so, I mean, in that sense, you're like, oh, there's all these methodologies and I really can just pick and choose which ones work for me. And I found that it was definitely a mix of a ton of different ones um, that work. Yeah. I think we found the title for your book when you write it. It's This is What You Should Do. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is what you should do. And no, if I was going to write a book, uh, to no surprise, um, to to anybody it would probably be on shakespeare's asides because that's what my dissertation was on and it is my favorite thing to talk about uh i think you actually recently gave a presentation on shakespeare's asides or something called the wooden o symposium is that right oh gosh that segued real well didn't it um (laughs) yeah i did i was with the uh utah shakespeare festival i submitted a little blurb about my dissertation and they were like come talk about it and i was like Okay. Um, and then I originally had planned to go to U- Utah to give the presentation. And I was really bummed I didn't get to go because flights got canceled. I was driving to the airport with my mom. She was driving me. Oh, and wow. we're no joke, oh, no. 20, 20 minutes away from the airport. And I get an alert on my phone that my flight has been canceled. Um, oh. And I was like, okay, uh, awesome. And so I was like, well, we're 20 minutes away, so let's just go to the airport and I'll see if I can get on a flight. Um, I could not get on a flight. And so I cried in the airport. <laughs> and so and then the, and this guy was like, oh, don't worry, it's going to it's going to be OK. And I was like, uh, it won't. And then I just like walked away because I was like, <laughs> all right, cool. Um, and then oh. my mom circled back around and picked me up. Um, and so then I ended up giving the presentation um, from the guest bedroom. Um, at my house. <laughs> so wow. that was fun. Wow. Um, but they had a really good setup for virtual presentations, like a shout out to the Utah Shakespeare Festival and the Wooden Oak Symposium for having a really good virtual setup. Um, and so, yeah. And, well, and it was nice because my brother was able to tune in and a few other people from different places could tune in and watch it. So that was cool. Oh, that's great. It's great that they were able to sh- make that shift. Yeah. That's amazing. 
Yeah, I like sent a panicked email and they were like, oh, no, uh, no problem. We'll just like add you to our virtual roster and like you'll go at the same time. And then weirdly enough, I don't know what happened. There were two other speakers supposed to go on the day that I was going to go. And I don't know what happened, but they couldn't. And so I had all this time to just talk about (laughs) my presentation. And I was the last per like I it was very strange, but in a good way. Um because people really liked it. And I mean, I'm happy about that because sometimes you wonder if you've discovered anything at all. But um, yeah, pretty much to sum it all down, um, I work with the Shakespeare's Asides and I have kind of developed a system on how you recognize, do you say it to the audience? Do you say it to somebody else? Do you say it to yourself? Oh, So pretty much, sorry, everyone, they're not always to the audience. That's the biggest takeaway. I know it's like heartbreaking to hear that, but it's sometimes they're not. Like, you mean I can't just get a single hot spotlight on me and wander right. out well, into the thrust stage every time I have an aside? No, save that for your soliloquies, okay? But some asides are just not. Shakespeare's asides. This is what you should do. Should do. Yes. Okay, there. That, that'll be the title of my book. Excellent. Will you will you write the foreword or the preface? Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Great. It'll be it, it will be terrible. Awesome. Well, cool. You could do your own illustrations for it. You have a, a, a art, artistic background, don't you? Uh yeah. Well, I mean, for fun. Um, I say that, and then my sister just got married, and I I did watercolored invitations for her. Yeah. Thanks, Kay. Uh, She's happy. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I did watercolor invitations for her and then also did like some sketches. So I, yeah, I'm not too bad at it, but that's definitely just a hobby. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So we have it here that um, you took a teaching artist position with the Chicago Youth Shakespeare uh, Company. Uh, What's that like? Uh, Tell us a little bit about uh, how that that's been. Yeah, so I was actually at our first rehearsal yesterday. They had a rehearsal previous, but again, my sister got married the week that weekend, so I, I was in Wisconsin. But we're working on Macbeth and then the complete works of William Shakespeare, Bridged. And we had our first read-through yesterday. Big table read. Um, we're working with high schoolers, and so because they're younger, we're being very, very safe. Um, and so everyone is masked. We're following guidelines. We will, as far as we know right now, be doing our performances masked as well. But we're leaning into the challenges of having to be six feet apart and wearing masks and what that means for blocking and what that means for characters. Mm. Um And also what that means for costuming. And we're doing a few scenes where we're actually filming them in advance. And we're going to use technology as a way to kind of tell the story. Um, I can't give away too much right now on what we're doing with that. (laughs) (laughs) But we have some uh, cool ideas on how we want to integrate technology into um, what we're doing. And the kids are really talented. Students, I should say. They're not kids. They're in high school. So (laughs) the students are really, really, really talented. It was so fun to finally hear the script uh, yesterday with everybody that was cast. It's also just so fun to like... They, they auditioned for this themselves, and it is a professional company. They do get paid for it. Um, so it's a professional youth ensemble. 
Uh, we share ideas. So what we did yesterday is we would finish an act and then we would ask prompting questions and we'd go around and everybody would be like, oh, this really stuck out to me or I this made me think of this and that might be a good idea for the show and we keep track of it. So everybody gets input on what the final production is. We have not gone in with an idea of what we want it to be like, except for maybe a few things. And so they really do get a pretty big say in like how they think it's going to turn out. And so it's, um, and we have some really good ideas already. <laughs> I'm really excited to wow. see how this turns out. They're really creative. Um, we have some youth artists that are involved as well. We have a youth musician who's going to do some underscoring and some music for us. So we just kind of, um, we got a really great group of very talented kids and it's going to be awesome to see what they, they put up. Um, when we how, get big there. Of a, how big of a cast? I think we have 15 kids, um, 15 students. <laughs> um, and I have yeah, a daughter I think who's so. in high school. I call her a kid. It's fine. Yeah, okay. I was going to say, we'll, we'll call them kids. kids. Yeah. <laughs> They're going to be like Ms. Wolf. Yeah, if it, kids on if, the podcast. If, if any of you kids are listening, <laughs> we're, we're older than you. You're kids. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a really great experience so far. Um, and I wish that I had known about something like this when I was younger because it's just a really great and really positive environment. And I think they've just really enjoyed and and they get to meet people that they haven't gotten to meet before that all have a passion for Shakespeare, which is really cool. Um, And they have a resource like you who's actually, I hope so. Yeah. (laughs) And they have uncles who all gave them first folio copies of Shakespeare's young readers. (laughs) I know. I'd be so curious to hear their origin stories be like, so how did you get inspired by the bard um but yeah no it's it's really cool i like left yesterday like i was on the train and i was like oh my gosh like the future is going to be okay like (laughs) cool (laughs) we have kids that like shakespeare the world is going to be okay that's a good Uh, feeling mm -hmm. Um, when when are the um uh the performances Yes, Macbeth will be happening January 13th. Um, and then we're actually also filming it. So I believe it will be accessible for people to watch online as well. And we have a few student filmmakers who are filming the process and doing interviews with us, as well as helping out with filming on stage and getting that all set up. So, wow. Cool. Yeah. That's a lot of talent in one place. Yeah, it is. I feel intimidated and inspired. Um <laughs> <laughs> Well, Every single time I walk in that room. Yeah, it's it's a good balance, um, for sure. I feel um, like I would just be intimidated, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, you and me both, man. Yeah, we'd be like, these kids, oh my gosh. Oh my these, gosh. These students, oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, and it'll be at the Edge Off-Broadway Theater, so. So come if you want to. In Chicago, right? I'm a, yeah, Chicago, yes. Shakespeare, off Broadway, New York. It's in New York. No. <laughs> yeah. We're taking the show on the road. <laughs> wouldn't put it past them. Uh, and then I think the complete works will be in April, April 23rd. So there you go. Is, cool. Are you keeping that at a cast of three? No, we are making okay. it 15, I believe. That's the discussion okay. we've currently been having. So, <laughs> yeah, giving everybody a chance to have the madcap craziness of that show, which I still haven't seen, oddly enough. Um, and I feel like everybody gives me a hard time for that. They're like, you've never seen the complete works of William Shakespeare abridged. Hmm. No. Well, that'll be rectified. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when you're working with students, especially, or, or anybody who's not uh, all that 
experienced with Shakespeare, what are some of the like misconceptions that you run across that people new to Shakespeare uh, you can help yeah. disavow them of? Well, I feel like there's also this idea that it's very presentational. So I think sometimes people come in with what I call the Shakespeare voice, where ah. it's like, to be or not to be, that mm. is the question. And it's like, <laughs> where do you we think can that say comes it from. Oh, I think because again, that highbrow idea, it, like there's this, like, it has to be grand. It has to be grandiose. And it's mm. just, you can mm. say it in your own register, wherever you're comfortable. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And then iambic pentameter. I know that's really scary for some people. I admittedly am still not great at figuring it all out like it like depending on like if you started off like reading a line and it is exactly 10 but like are you is it unstressed starting is it stress starting like do you get to make that choice is the choice already made for you and figuring all that stuff out but i also also this is a big one everybody always says don't look at other videos for inspiration and i think that's crap i think that Yes, watch the globe, watch the RSC, see how other people have done it. Like if you have no, like if you don't have a background in it and you don't know where you want to start, I totally think it's completely allowed to listen to what other people have done just so that you maybe get a better idea. Because I know reading it, especially as we've been saying for students, sometimes they just don't get it when they have to read it. And it's, it is a show it's supposed to be seen. So I think it's a great starting point for- yeah, I can relate to that. I yeah. and it's not just Shakespeare, but especially Shakespeare because it's not uh written in in a contemporary way that uh yeah, just just seeing the words sometimes doesn't give me the full picture whereas yep. and and certainly if you, you know, sit down with somebody who's who's real familiar with it, they can, they can walk you through it and get you up to speed. But I, I imagine it's got to be a lot quicker to see it actually performed. And a lot more lights are going to yeah. light up in your head about what is actually going on there and what's intended. So I, I could totally, I could totally see that, <laughs> that would help some yeah. people out. And yeah. then like the unfortunate truth is like, it's really hard to hide when you don't know what you're saying. Which mm. is like the good and bad thing about Shakespeare, because <laughs> then like when I'm working with people, and I'm like, oh, they're doing really well. And then there's like this muddy part. And I'm like, okay, I feel like we don't know what we're trying to say, like right here. <laughs> um, and one of my friends from the Institute, she always talks about how she's like, I think No Fear Shakespeare gets a bad rap too. She's like, if you don't know what you're saying, and again, just cutting out like the hard part of like trying to figure it out on your own because you don't understand this language, there's no shame to going to No Fear Shakespeare and being like, oh, Oh, no fear, Shakespeare. That's the is that the the, the translation sort of yeah, and they translate it into ah, okay, um yeah. yeah 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 no fear, Shakespeare through Spark Notes. They have like modern. There's a few different ones that have modern translations, but um we always laughed about that because sometimes we'd be like, yeah, sometimes I still don't really fully understand like some of these lengthy speeches, and we're like, let's just look it up in this book, and we'd be <laughs> like, oh, so that's what's happening. Yeah. But that being said, there's some new. One of my professors is working on a performance edition for some of these scripts, and so they're trying to take out some of that guesswork by making sure words we don't know, like the the definitions there, so that it's all in one place, so that you don't have to constantly be going to a bunch of different resources. Um, so they're, they're doing that through the Arden, and I think they have Hamlet and Twelfth Night and a few others published right now, if hmm. people are interested. 
Yeah, nice resource. Yeah, yeah it, cool. what are some of your favorite resources you've collected along the way? Um, so my favorite book, um, as I've said, I love Penelope Friedman. I love her. Any of her you and thou stuff, you can just Google her. It's great. She's got two books out. One's with the Arden Performance series, and they've um, contacted a bunch of different like Shakespeare scholars, and they're writing a series of books. So there's a Shakespeare and Meisner book that's out right now. I'm in the process of reading that one. It's very good. Um, there's a Shakespeare, You and Thou, um, one, again, by Penelope that I love. She's got two books. I recommend anything that she writes is just really, really great. Um, and then I love anything by Ben and David Crystal. Um, their Shakespeare words, all their dictionaries are really great. Um, so those are the ones I continuously go back to. Um, I'm also looking at my bookshelf and I know that Shakespeare on theater by Robert Cohen is really great because I use that for a majority of my dissertation. Um, there you go. <laughs> so, and it's like the smallest book, like it's maybe, yeah, it's like 129 pages of just great information. Um, so like really easy to read. Wow. Um, but those that's just, are the that's ones... just your whole dissertation is that book. Yeah, I should have just done that. And then <laughs> there's also this like, I don't know, it's like called The Great Courses. And it's like a series of like DVDs. And a friend of mine got these for me as like a graduation slash birthday gift when I left college. And it's like Shakespeare and word in action. And it's a DVD lecture series from like maybe the 90s. But like, there's still some great stuff in there. And I use that all the time, too. Oh, nice. That's good for those (laughs) of us who like, uh, like video learning via video. Yeah, it, they're really great. Um, and there's like a little workbook that goes with it and like talks about some of the topics. And so there's a really great lecture on The Tempest. So nice. Nice. Yeah. Um, so for the folks listening, uh, we know now that you direct. Um, we've talked a little bit about how you have acted. Um, can you recall a time on stage, um, whether it was acting or directing, uh, that was just generally surprising to you something that made you stop and think and go wow i did not expect that or that did not happen the way i thought it was gonna go but who boy um i knew you were gonna ask something like this and i was racking my brain about like what was like maybe the most terrifying or funniest like thing that's happened on stage and it was really recently actually so i was part of an apprentice company with shakespeare on the sound they're a company out of connecticut um and my sweet, sweet mother came to see the last performance that I was in. She came the last weekend. I was living in New York um, and then commuting to Connecticut. And so she came to New York City and we did some all that fun touristy stuff. And then the first night she came, it downpoured. And we did the opening um, part of the show um, under umbrellas. And then it got too bad and we just had to cancel it. And I was oh. like, oh my gosh, my mom is not going to be able to see the show. Like oh. <laughs> what is going to happen? And then the second night, thankfully we just had a light mist and then it stopped. So we did like the first, um, first part of a Midsummer Night's Dream and it's like still kind of raining. And I was like, oh dear God, thank the Lord. My mom is so kind and she's literally sitting in the rain for this. Oh, um, wow. And so then it stopped and it was fine. And um, I was playing one of the fairies and um, it was like that big, which was actually, it reminded me a lot of unrehearsed because um, I played it, played a fairy in that one too. There's a scene where Puck's out there and then all the other fairies are kind of calling him out um, on stuff. And I was like getting ready for like my big line to like say something to Puck. 
and my mind went blank. And I was like, could not remember. I did on 18 runs of this show (laughs) and literally (laughs) knew I had to say something and literally just was like, oh, crap. Oh, that's the worst feeling. And so I like dead, like looked at Puck in the eye and like said my one line for the opening, like for that opening part of the line. Could not remember the second one and just repeated it like twice. I was just like, we're just going to repeat this line until someone saves me because I do not know what I'm supposed to say. Oh, no. um, it's and then it's luck- tough to improvise Shakespeare. It is <laughs> yeah. so tough. And so like, luckily one of my, like one of the other fairies was like, Oh, okay. I'm just going to jump in now. And then they just jumped in on their line and like, we kept going, but I was just like, my last show, my mom's here. And I couldn't remember what I'd said like the first time it happened, but <sighs> Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's that's Ugh. definitely the most recent one where I was just like, and it is. It's so like your heart just stops, and it feels like time is just like going really fast and really slow. Like at the same time, you're like, oh my gosh, yeah. everybody's staring at me, but I need to figure out what I need to say, but I can't because I'm totally panicking right now. Right. Um, so yeah, I'll totally call myself out on that one. Right. I was just like, ah, <laughs> oh, crap. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I I think probably yeah. we've all been there at one point or another, and yeah, it's a terrifying yeah. thing. And I feel like I feel like dropped lines in Shakespeare are so much harder to wrap your brain around because it's not our everyday language. It's not like your line is like, "Oh, I forgot my slipper." It's like (laughs) it can be, but it's just it's so complicated to the to the everyday brain. You're like, yeah. (laughs) That reminds me of when I was working with the high schoolers on Twelfth Night, and one of them came up to me and he's like, "Are we allowed to ad lib?" And I was like. I mean, I don't know what you want to ad lib. Where what are we where are we thinking about doing this? And they were like, Well, like, you know, like just like saying things. And I was like, you know what? Have fun with it. Just make sure you slip a you yous and thous and some like thuses in there and like I'll be fine with it. Like <laughs> All right. it'll, it'll be great, guys. And they were like, Okay. And then they never did anything with it. So I don't know where they were thinking they wanted to throw some stuff in with, but I was just like, Yeah, I don't know, just <laughs> Put that, some stuff in there. It'll be fine. That would have been fun to see, actually, where they <laughs> where they planned oh, on putting it. There is a group, though, that um, this was one of my favorite experiences at the Institute. They came in and they do improv and they do it all in iambic pentameter. And it's mind blowing. Wow. Mind blowing. Jeez. Burst. Yeah. <laughs> like you give them some topics and they'll like create a scene and they're doing it all in I- iambic pentameter. And I was just like, my brain does not work that way. But it was very impressive and very cool to watch. Oh, they are talented <laughs> mutants of some sort. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I've seen the, imp- I've seen the improvised Shakespeare in Chicago, but that is, they, they stray so far from iambic <laughs> after the first like 15 minutes, first 15 minutes is really yeah. impressive. And you're like, wow, Shakespeare. And then the last, 45 you're like mm, and we've gone off the rails and it's fine <laughs> yeah but a whole show in iambic oh cheap yeah. cheap so i wanted to ask you um you recently performed an audio performance didn't you the yes the book? um yes yes uh yeah i did with um artemisia um which was cool um i've been doing a bit more audio stuff now which has been great yeah, how is that, um, you know, an audio-only experience as opposed to stage acting um, and things like that? Well, it was really funny because I've um, there's a, this company out of, um, I want to say Duluth. 
I guess Duluth that okay. I've been working with called Wise Fool Theater. They're a smaller um, Shakespeare company, um, and I found them randomly through Facebook because they had like this audio audition, and I was bored out of my mind and had been in my house, and I was like, I'm just going to submit. <laughs> and they yeah, that's picked... how this podcast came about. So yeah, no, see, gr- <laughs> no, because creative people need to create, and that's why we're here. And it was. Um, I now have the best group of friends with from this from this experience with, with wise fool. Um, I love them. I would love to meet them in person at some point in my life. Um, and so we had done some rehearsals, um, and kind of comparing experiences here. And when we did them, we would turn off our cameras and just like get to be our weird selves. Like if you needed to like do something that like really felt like needed to help you get into the emotion without having the other person like watching you. Uh, And I really, yeah. And I really (laughs) enjoyed that because I was like, okay, I can just be like, sitting here and just reading and in the zone my cat is in here like it's fine like i can be doing whatever and then when we did close the book um they were like oh we're gonna keep the cameras on and i just didn't think that we were gonna do that Ah. (laughs) and i was like oh okay (laughs) i'm like in my sweatshirt and my hair doesn't look nice and like we're gonna keep the cameras on for the recording i mean obviously like when they do the podcast it's not there but they were like oh yeah we do that so that we can connect and like you know (laughs) do all that and i was like okay cool and i was just like thrown for a loop on that one because i just didn't expect it unless i was Um, not ready to connect today (laughs) it was not Because Um, of that, listeners, Elissa is actually wearing a prom dress and tiara right now. I was wondering what that was, and now I get it. She was so worried about you guys seeing her on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, um, I, like, dressed to the nines for you guys today. Um, (laughs) But, yeah, it really, it threw me for a little bit. But then I, like, but that being said, for the play that we worked on, it was very helpful because it's very much um, a living room play. Everything takes place in one spot. You don't have a ton of people coming in and out. um, So you are really all together. Um, And in that sense, because there's not a lot of movement, seeing each other and connecting with each other was very helpful. Um, But yeah, I was just not prepared for it that day, Um, but it went (laughs) really, really well. And I got to meet another really great group of people. Um, and it was a lot of fun. I've been enjoying doing audio um, and it's something I want to continue, especially um, with, yeah, especially with the play that we just did close the book. Um, it was written by Susan Gladspell. Um, and I didn't know about her until I did uh, the recording. And I, w- I read the play first and just like read it straight through. I didn't read the beginning part where it like actually tells you when it was written because I was like, I'm just going to read it. And I finished it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, when was this written? This is so timely. It was like written in the 1920s. And I was like, oh, so not like yesterday. And I was shocked. And I was just like, this is a really timely play that still hits on a lot of things um, that are relevant going like going on right now. Um, But then it was also just fun to be introduced to a female playwright that I wasn't familiar with. And there's like articles that compare her to Eugene O'Neill and like other playwrights at the time. And I didn't know anything about her. And so it was just... All these opportunities, have, I've learned much, much, much new stuff, um, yeah. and I'm glad. <laughs> yeah, you found a new group of actors and a new playwright yeah. and all kinds of yeah. new discoveries. That's fantastic. Yeah, so it's been good. And I don't have to leave my house, so. And you don't have to leave your house <laughs> or where you are. 
but you yeah. can but you continue to wear your your tiara yeah. and and dress <laughs> in the yes. house. Uh, um. So you're on an. You, we have you here. We are on a, an acting podcast. Um. We know you're an actress. Um. Do you have any bucket list roles that you'd really like to play? What are they? That's. Uh, I, I love this question. I like to ask people this no. question in real life anyway, but we have you here now. So. Oh, yes. Um, so I'll give you two answers. Um, I really want to play em- Emily Webb from Our Town. She's been on my bucket list forever. Um, I really love that show. Um, so I would love to do that. And then if we're going to continue on with the Shakespeare trend, um, I would really love to play Coriolanus. Um, that's become one of my new favorite Shakespeare pieces and i'm like yeah i want to be tom hiddleston so um <laughs> you want to be ray, ray fines right <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> um and so that's that's for theater um but if like the world was to go like absolutely perfectly and i like ended up doing my dream dream job um i would love to be in the marvel cinematic universe i'm a huge comic book nerd um <laughs> I I would die if I got to do anything remotely close to that. So awesome! There you go. Awesome! <laughs> you heard it here first, Marvel. She's, <laughs> yeah, she's got a master's from the Shakespeare Institute. Yeah, hey, you, they have Tom Hiddleston. Shakespeare's great. Sign me up. I could be in Loki season two. So <laughs> absolutely, <laughs> you could be one of those Lokis we've been hearing so much about. Yeah, right. right. I still need to watch it, uh, but <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Did you when you were over in England? Did you pick up any uh, new obsessions as far as entertainment or anything? Um, I do love British television a lot, um, and to get through this pandemic, I've definitely fallen into the nice um, niche of what are called cozy murder mysteries, where like you're sipping your tea and somebody drops dead, and you're like, "Oh, I must go call the next door neighbor. She's going to figure this out." Yeah. And she like runs a PR firm, and she's like, "Oh, I just have to finish baking my pie." And you're like, "This is great." <laughs> um, so I've I've probably watched everything on BritBox that is like slightly cozy murder related. Um, yeah, I just any any British murder mystery, I'm on board with. I love anything Agatha Christie. I'm rewatching Poirot. Um, oh yeah! Again, so <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I wow, love that wow. stuff. Good stuff. Um, you mentioned earlier that your brother also went to school across the pond. Yeah, is yeah. is the love of the UK just big in your family, or? Um, that's a great question. Um, I'm gonna say that I probably started that trend because when I was in college, <laughs> I did actually go. I was at Plymouth University. Um, for a little bit. Yes, Plymouth, where the Plymouth and Mayflower and all that fun stuff. Um, that Plymouth. Uh, so I was there and I did performance art, which was very different, but that's where I learned a lot of um, devising work and ensemble work because it's, again, very big in the UK. It's, a, I think, a little bit different from the theater that we do here is that ensemble and devising is very, very big. Um, and what they do. Um, but I was at Plymouth University and loved it. And then the next thing you know, my brother was like, oh, yeah, I applied. And now I'm gonna go over there. And I mean, to his credit, he now has a PhD. So like, well, all right, then, you know, <laughs> to, to your credit, he now has a PhD. Yeah, yeah, obviously, to my <laughs> you, credit, you, because you I was like, mm, England's great, you should go to. <laughs> so <laughs> And, and uh, you also mentioned having a sister. You're, are they theatrical in any way? Your sister, your brother, or no? No. Um, 
I'm trying to no. I mean, my sister, I like she and I are artistic in different ways. Um, she is a phenomenal photographer. Um, and shout out to her for doing my headshots for like the last like three years because like that's really great. Every birthday gift was headshots, so I cannot complain. Nice. Um, yeah, and she's very, very, very good at what she does. Um, she's a photojournalist and she specializes in sports photography. Right now, she's um working in Wisconsin and she gets to photograph the green Bay Packers. Um, and she's very oh. good at what she does. So I cannot say enough about that. So she's a, r- a really talented photographer. Um, and then my brother is went into landscape architecture. So we are just artistic in very different ways. Um, I don't think I'd ever see them getting up on stage, but who knows? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, I didn't want to let you go without mentioning also um, you have a background in costume design. Is that something that you yeah. uh, still like to do? Is that? Yes, that- I love that. Um, it's probably also why like, I would love to do anything Marvel and or time period related costuming wise, because I just think it's like really fun to like have those unique. Like I want a superhero costume like that would be so cool. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm right there with it, you. Yeah, like who doesn't want that? Um, but yeah, no. So I I got that when I was I my undergrads from the University of Wisconsin Lacrosse, um, and so I got my costume design minor from there. Um, and it's something actually that I do with um, my mom a lot um, because I emphasize that I am costume design and not costume construction. I am not a talented sewer. I am. Sure. Way more of what I call a talented alterer. So I will go and find something that follows the similar shape or outline of a costume piece that I'm looking for, mm. and then I can alter it. But a lot of the times, um, my mom and I partner up for a majority of the projects that I've done costuming-wise. It's definitely uh, a mom and daughter project. Um, and she made all my costumes in high school. So wow, that's great. <laughs> like, she's super talented. She's a, all, a talented, talented seamstress. And so we'll, um, we did these shining lives at the riverfront. Um, yeah. And that was definitely the two of us um, worked on those costumes. We also have a full costume closet in our house that has just like so much random stuff. Oh, um, that sounds like admittedly, fun. We'll be over in I'm 15 also- minutes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> come on. We can, there's, well, there's so much random stuff <laughs> in that closet. Um, it's great. Um, and then like, I'm also like slightly into amateur prop design right now. So we have like random yeah. props at our house too. So nice. like. Galen's also a, a prop you're, designer. You're talking my language. Oh, I love tinkering yeah. around with that stuff it is so much fun i go to american scientific or american science, american and, surplus science and surplus all the time yes shout out yes <laughs> yep i love just buying random stuff and working on that <laughs> um actually ben the first show that you saw me in loves labor's lost right mm-hmm. i think that was those cameras i made those what? for that show yeah you're so talented so, <laughs> so there you go what that's yeah. crazy <laughs> wow Did- do you have every, every, everyone I know is just multi-talented. Well, I mean, I think you're pretty multi-talented. I mean, mm. I'm in a room with other people that are equally as creative as myself, I think. Ugh. You're in your own room. She's in her own room by, oh, I, by herself. God, yeah, now that sounds egotistical. Sorry, this virtual room that we are in. <laughs> well, we didn't want to keep you too much longer, but we do want to ask, what's next? What do you got that you either plan on doing soon or would like to do next? 
Um, so there's kind of a few things. Um, I do actually have a handful of Shakespeare auditions um, the, ne- up, the next upcoming month. So if all goes well, I'll be doing some summer Shakespeare again, um, which is my true passion. Summer Shakespeare. I love being outside um, and doing Shakespeare. It's great. Um, and then I'm also um, at the point where I'm also trying to get into some TV and film. I'm ready to take that kind of step and I'm working on getting all that lined up. I just finished an on-camera class. Um, I'm a big sucker for classes. I think you can never stop learning. So yes, um, that's my advice for anybody out there. Just take classes and you'll, you'll just meet really great people. I love everything that I've done is just introduced me to some great people with great insight. Um, but yeah, so next is hopefully some more Shakespeare. Um, <laughs> and uh Maybe, you know, a commercial or two. I don't know. That'd be nice, too. That, we can, yeah. That sounds Who exciting. <laughs> Point at the TV and go, I know her. I know. I know her. <laughs> I mean, that being said, I do do a lot of um, background extra work occasionally in the cities. So if I might pop up in the background on Chicago Met or Chicago PD. Ooh. So, Ooh. Yeah, fun. You have to let us know. We'll look for you. <laughs> yeah. I'll be like, hey. The back of that girl, that backpack, that's me. So well, I, I know I know her. Pure talent. I know that backpack. Electric. She made she made that backpack. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> well, we had such a good time talking with you. Thank you for joining us tonight. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah. We hope to see you again soon in the future and all your endeavors. And oh yeah, we're gonna be keeping an eye out for the next big thing that uh Whatever country that ends up being in. Uh, I know. I hope I get back to England soon. Oh. Nah, we want you to stay here. I, You know, we're, I wouldn't mind staying here. tie you down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it'd be great to see you guys in person at some point. Um, yeah, we got to work on that, too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks once yeah. again for being on the show. It was fun. <laughs> well, until next time. And that is going to do it for this episode of the Just For Show show. Thank you for listening. If you have stories you'd like to share, or if you just want to let us know what you think about the show, please send us an email. You can reach us at justforshowpodcast at gmail.com. And that just leaves one more thing for me to do, and that is to thank my wonderful co-hosts. The show would not happen without them. Thank you, Heidi Swarthout and Ben Slavik. This is Galen Malik saying take care, and we'll see you next time.